Joshua chapter 2. Last week when we left off, Joshua had the children of Israel on this side of the Jordan, not quite in the promised land. The preparations are underway. And let's go before the Lord and we'll jump right in to verse 1. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for your word. We thank you that these truths are eternal. They are forever. They do not change. And the lessons that we learn here, we pray that you would put them on the tablets of our heart and that we would walk them out in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 1, only verse 1, it says, Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from Acacia, from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. A couple things I want to point out. Now, he has been a spy himself, has he not? But he has a new role. He's not going to go back the way that he was doing it before because the Lord has called him now to lead the children of Israel. And I can just see it. Can you not? He's given them individual tips. You know, like last time I was there, if you go down this one road and you go this, that was over 40 years ago. But I'm sure the itch was still there. Can you relate? I'm sure there's things that you may say the same thing. Well, back in my day when we did it, and we have to grow in the roles that God has given us. And we have to grow in that season because there's a season for everything. Now, the people of Israel, as they're there, they've been resting for three days. And Israel is being prepared to cross the Jordan and go into the promised land. But notice how... Joshua's already getting to work. He sends the spies over there to get going. Can you imagine that feeling of being one of the spies and putting your foot down on the other side in the promised land? But what we're going to see is that it's full of enemies. It's full of battles. The enemy is holding the promised land. And even though God told them that they were going to be victorious, they still have to do the work. I still have to go about the Lord's business by faith. Now, remember verse 11 of the first chapter. It says, pass through the camp and the command the people, prepare provisions for yourselves. For within three days, you will cross over this Jordan to go in to possess the land, which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Why prepare? Why send spies? Why do they have to sharpen swords? Why do they have to get ready? Like God's promised it to them doesn't mean that God's going to hand deliver it with a gift basket and all they have to do is walk into the enemy's camp and take over. Well, the same thing that's going on then is the same thing going on with us. Christ has conquered sin, death, and the devil. We are born again. Our, our promises are sealed. We have a habitation in heaven. We will rule and reign with him in the millennial kingdom. But what do we have to do every day? We have to reckon ourselves dead to sin. We have to pick up his cross daily. We have to fight this spiritual war. It's not going to be easy. Even though God has promised us the victory, we have to walk in those promises every single day. Sometimes we may get the feeling, like, why do, why do I have to make all these good choices? God's just going to give it to me anyway. Well, the Lord is showing them that even though they will be victorious, what are they doing? Get provisions. Get smart. The Bible tells us in the New Testament that don't prepare a a tower 
don't prepare. Don't build a tower without first preparing and planning, lest you're halfway through and you can't finish it and you become a laughing stock. Proverbs tells us that through sound and good counsel, wage war. You know, we need to be smart about these things. Now, speaking of smart, these two spies, they go into the enemy's land and they go and hide in a harlot's house, Rahab. Now, there are a lot of uh, really good uh, Bible scholars and teachers. They do everything they can to not call Rahab what she is. She is a prostitute. There is no other way you can say it. This is a house of ill repute. What are these good Israeli boys, these good Jewish boys doing in a harlot's house? Now, there is nothing sexual written here in the text. So what are they doing? Well, where are they? They are in the enemy's camp. They do not want Israel coming over and taking their houses and stealing their stuff and kicking them out of the land. They don't want God's judgment. They want to continue to live as they've always done. There is an opposition. Now, you don't go knocking on the door of the city gate, say, hey, you know, I'm here. I'm here. Hey, could you do me a favor? Let me know how many guys are in here and where all the gates are. Could you please tell me the weak points in your defenses? Why? Oh, because God's promised all this to us. He says we're going to sleep in your houses and eat from your food and your vineyard that you work so hard on. You would never do that. So these guys, as they're sneaking, where would a place be where no one's going to admit they were there? Where is a place going to be where people are coming secretly in the night and no one's asking any names? It's a wise move to go into a house of irrepute because nobody is going to be calling it out. Hey, what's your name? I want to make sure your wife knows where you're at. They're just not going to do it. But more importantly than that, we know that this is God's divine plan. There is a mission for Rahab specifically. Specifically. And let's see what happens now in verses 2 through 7. And it was, it was told to the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, where they have come to search out all the country. Then the woman took the two men and hid them. She said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And it happened, as the gate was being shut when it was dark, that the men went out. Where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them with stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. Then the men pursued them by the road to the Jordan, to the fords. And as soon as they who had pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. How? How does the king know that they're there? They're not announcing themselves. They're sneaky, sneaky. They're in a recon element. That means that there's a traitor in the camp of Israel. Somebody's telling them, or maybe they're starting to trade across the Jordan. Maybe travelers are coming across from other countries. Hey, what are you guys doing here? This million-man army just happens to be camped on the Jericho River. Well, we're getting ready. We're preparing. You know, I want to buy some of your goods before you go over to the, this other country because we're getting ready to go over there. We're going to take it all. Oh, are you? Really? Yeah, we even sent a couple guys over there. Oh, wow, yeah, here, here, you can buy this stuff. And then maybe the trader went over there 
trader with a T-R-A-D-E-R. And they go over to, now to the city, on the other side of the jar, Jericho. Hey, um, I just want to let you know, we sold a bunch of stuff. A lot of people over there, they want your things. And they said they sent some people. If you are an enemy of Israel, what are you going to do about this? If you are one of these people that are living in the promised land and you hear that there's a million-man army on the other side and God is on their side, they have all these victories and they're coming to take your house, take your fields, take your property, take your flag down, put their flag up, are you going to lay down? Are you just going to give it to them? Are you going to pack your bags and be like, oh, I'm out of here? It's going to be a fight. It is strange that Christians go through this world in their life and they act like the devil's not going to put up a fight. They act like the demons are not going to be against us. They act like when we go into the world and preach the gospels and them who love darkness rather than light are just going to pack up their bags and get out. And it is interesting to me that we get tricked in our minds in this spiritual war that we just think that everything's going to be easy. The enemies of the gospel are not going to go away. They are going to put up a fight. They are fighting for their way of life, their existence. They're fighting for their rebellion against God, whether they're blinded by Satan or not. The demons know that they are going to go to hell a fiery pit for all of eternity. Do you think they're going to go there willingly? Satan knows that he's condemned. He has read the book. He knows the future. Whether he's naive enough to think he can have victory over God or not, I do not know. That's above my pay grade. But I do know this. He's not going down without a fight. I praise God that in the name of Jesus Christ, if we resist the devil, he will flee. You know, we cannot be overcome. But you think it's going to be easy, Christian? You may wonder why is it such a struggle for you to get up in the morning and to read your Bible? Why is it such a struggle to turn off the TV and to go pray? Why is it that you can't sleep all night long? You're tossing and turning. You have all these anxieties. And you say to yourself, you know what? I'm going to read my Bible now in the middle of the night. Next thing you know, you're dead asleep. I'll tell you right now, the enemy is like, nope, I'm going to remove all distractions. I'm going to get rid of all that stuff. They're going to sing them a lullaby to put them to sleep because we are in a spiritual war and the enemy doesn't make it easy. Well, the enemy's not making it here easy as well. He's, they're going door to door to find out where these people are. And then you have Rahab. What is she thinking? What is she to gain? No promises have been made here in the text. There is no treaty there's no promise, there's no payment, there's no begging. She hasn't interacted with God. No angel has come to her and given her a message. And yet, she decides to go against her people, against her tribe, against her town, against the authorities, against the threat of death. For time immemorial... What have we done with traitors, T-R-A-I-T-O-R, traitors? They are strung up. They are taken out. They are not treated well. Only in the United States of America do we have traitors, and we're so gracious we put them in jail for the rest of their lives, room and board. This woman is a traitor. 
She is a traitor against her people, but she throws her lot in with God. Now, Guzik, he writes in his commentary, so it was just so good I couldn't even... Sometimes I could rewrite it. I don't, know what you guys, I don't want you guys to know I'm leaning that heavily on the commentary, but I couldn't help it. He said, consider that she was a pagan sinner in a city and culture wholly given over to worship of false gods and immorality with no previous contact with the word of God or the things of God. And she chose the Lord. And this is what he wrote. What is your excuse? I go, oh, Oh, I, I'm not taking that home. I'm going to blame David on that one. I'm going to give that one to you, and it's going to be his words, not mine. What is your excuse? She chooses the Lord. And again, I say, why is it that as Christians we're so naive to think, well, I follow Jesus, everything's going to be easy. We are Christians, disciples of Christ. We follow after him. Was Jesus' life easy? When he wrestled with Satan, we won't call it wrestling, but when he was tempted by Satan in the desert for 40 days, was it easy? When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating as it were great drops of blood, was it easy? When he was crucified, easy? When they tried to kill him and stone him and he just walked straight through the crowd because he's the Lord. When his own betrayed him. When the Romans scourged him, was it easy? But was he victorious? Yes, we are victorious in him. We will be victorious. Rahab is like, you know what? I don't know what I'm doing here, but I know one thing. If I want to get out of this thing, I better stick with them. I better stick with their God. And she doesn't know any of it. And I don't know anything about the military other than what I see in a documentary or read in a history book. But they say in planning, all the best plans, you have to remember the enemy gets a vote. The enemy gets a vote in whether your plan works or not. The enemy gets a vote. He's going to try and destroy it. He's going to try and stop you. He's going to try and hinder you. He's going to do everything he can because he is on his way to hell and he wants to stop the gospel. But God is so great and he is so powerful, he uses all these things for good in the life of the believer. The Bible tells us that all things work together for the good for those that love him. And I say it over and over again. I don't know how, I don't know when, I don't know why, but it does. But we have to stay in the fight. Well, what happens now? She's hidden these spies up on the roof. They're banging on the door. She tells them a lie. They run away. They're going to go find these spies. Now they decide to have a conversation. Let's read verses 8 through 14. Now, before they lay down, she came up to, the, on the, to, up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heaven above and on the earth beneath. Now, therefore, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, 
since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token. And spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. So the man answered her, Our lives for yours. If none of you tell this business of ours, and it shall be when the Lord has given us the land, then we will deal kindly and truly with you. Rahab declares her faith in the true and the living God. And how did she receive this gospel, this good news? By rumor and hearsay. There's no CNN, Fox News. There's no YouTube videos. They're just hearing that these battles are taking place, that the Red Sea is parting. I want you to think about this for even a moment. Rahab has more faith in these rumors than the children of Israel had at the actual miracle. Let that sink in for a minute. Rahab has more faith on the rumors of these victories than the children of Israel had when they literally walked through the Red Sea, when they ate the manna every day, when they were victorious in battle. I say again, like we said earlier, let's quote David on this. What is your excuse? What excuse do we have? None. Now, this declaration is so powerful that it is quoted twice in the New Testament. Once, she is quoted in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31. Second, she is quoted in James chapter 2, verse 25. In both places, her faith in making this statement, she turned her back on her people, on her country, on her tribe, on her town, on her heritage. But notice, she did not turn her back on her family. Could you please save my family, my father, my mother? And she's an intercessor here. And they say, yes, yes, if you protect us, we will protect you. We will take care of you. Now, I said earlier, the enemy gets a vote. Do you know that Satan is a father? The Bible says that Satan is a father, a father of all what? Lies. He's the father of all lies. Why do I bring it up in this context? I bring it up in this context because many times when we are in watching media or we're watching a debate or we're seeing the, the world coming against Christianity, coming against a faith, they mock us, they laugh at us, they say we're the dumb ones, we're the ignorant ones, that we are the racists, that we're the prejudiced, that we're the ignorant, we are the ones that are imposing our will, we're the ones that are causing all evil in the world. I mean, you can just keep pulling the thread of accusations and we even begin to think wow they're so powerful wow they outnumber us wow we're losing and it is a lie a lie i hear more and more oh this country it's going down the tube oh we're we're going backwards we're on a slippery slope yes yes sure Uh uh-huh Rahab didn't care one bit, one bit about her nation, her country, being a traitor. Because if you're on God's side, what other side is there? And you are not going to lose. Am I being unpatriotic? Absolutely not. I love the United States of America. I especially love that the United States of America was founded on Christian principles 
and was a Christian nation. Now, even that is controversial. Well, I wish you would get as upset when God's name is blasphemed as you are when I say some of those things. I wish we would defend the word of God, which is the sword of the spirit, which is God's word. And we have to remember, wow, you know what? The enemy doesn't want to tell us the truth. What does the enemy want? The enemy wants us to think he's stronger than he is. The enemy wants us to think he's going to win. The enemy wants us to think that we're the ones that are going to be defeated. The enemy doesn't want us to take over. And the enemy is getting a vote in our daily walk. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6 that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but that the fiery darts of the wicked one are being launched against us. Well, that's just not very nice. I, I, I don't want him to do that. I'll just pray that away. The enemy gets a vote in this. But what do we have in Ephesians 6? We have the shield of faith. We have the sword of the spirit, the word of God. We are victorious because Jesus Christ, the captain of our salvation, goes before us and has conquered sin, death, and the devil. And so we can be sober-minded as the Bible tells us. Yes, we're in a battle. It's pretty important that as Christians you understand you are in a war. You can't win a war you don't even know you're in, for one. Two, never trust the enemy. He's setting traps and ambushes. He, he does not want to lose. Any more than the people that are in the, in the promised land are going to pack up their stuff and just leave. But what does Rahab know? The God of Israel is going to win. I better, jump, I better jump ship. I better get on his side. And nothing has changed. The true and the living God is going to be victorious. He will rule and reign on this planet for a millennium, a thousand years. He will show how life always was supposed to be, and we will rule and reign with him. We cannot lose. Rahab is a pagan prostitute, and she is showing more faith than we 21st century Christians. Shame on us. Here's the good news. She changed sides. She joined the right team. And we can rededicate ourselves. We can lift up our shields and bring up our swords. We can prepare and make provisions and understand that, yes, we're in a spiritual battle and we can walk in the victory that Christ has given us. My favorite Old Testament name of the Lord, Jehovah Nisi. The Lord is our banner. It is, a, it is a war banner. It is a banner that goes before us, and we follow him in that victory. So what happens with Rahab? How are they going to get out of this? And what is next? Verses 15 through 21 tell us. Then she lit them down by a rope through the window, for her house was on the city wall. She dwelt on the wall. And she said to them, Get to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you. Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Afterward, you may go your way. So the men said to her, We will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you have made us swear, unless when we come into the land, you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household to your own home. So it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we will be guiltless. And whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him. And if you tell this business of ours, then we will be free from your oath which you've made us swear. 
Then she said, According to your words, so be it. And she sent them away, and they departed, and she bound the scarlet cord in the window. That's pretty narrow-minded. Why a scarlet cord? Can it be purple? Can it be blue? Why does it have to be a cord? Can I have a white sheet? Why does it have to be this house? Can I have a different house? Why just this room? Why just these people? Ever since the first century, 100 A.D., Bible scholars like Justin Martyr, Irenaeus, Clement of Rome, Origen, every single one of these ancient Bible scholars said that this scarlet red cord is speaking of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is our scarlet cord. There is one way of salvation, one through Jesus in the same way we too are saved. And when the Lord comes back, it will not be to salvation. When the Lord returns in the valley of Megiddo, it will be to judgment. And everyone in the valley of Megiddo that rises against the Lord will be destroyed. They will be killed, and then they will go into eternal torment. In Gehenna for a thousand years, in the great white throne judgment, then they will be sent to the endless fiery pit. That's not very nice. Then grab on to the cord. There is a way of escape, and it is paid for by his own blood, by his own life. He took the punishment, the judgment of God upon himself that we may be saved. Cling to it and follow it and be obedient to it. Broad is the way of destruction and narrow is the way of salvation. How narrow? It is a one-man-sized door. Jesus Christ. We must go through him. Now, the spies. Don't you think that God would just, like, float them out of there? Like, well, why doesn't he just translate them like in Acts? You know, just get there. What does Rahab say? Go hide. Run back. Be smart. Like, they could be defeated. Like, they could be overtaken if they don't obey. If they just flaunt in front of the enemy, what happens? They would be overtaken. They would be murdered. They would be killed. But they do make it back. They do get there. What if, what if the spies stayed in there? Didn't they never went back? Took on an alias? Maybe started a little business? Got a nice little cottage in the town? What if, they, what if they stayed there and they became prosperous and maybe ran for office? You know, what if they fell in love with the place? Maybe they started to like that place a little bit. What would happen when, when Israel comes? They'd be destroyed, like everyone else. If you don't see where I'm going with this, and you're blind. The Bible tells us Christians we're not to be in love with the world. That we're not to love this life. Listen, we are in the recon team ourselves. The Lord is coming back. He is going to have a seven-year judgment on this planet, and he is going to set up the true kingdom. And we just love this place so much. We're clinging to it. Man, we just want this place to persevere. We just want it like you're being a defeatist. Absolutely not. I'm spying out the land, and I'm handing out as many scarlet cords as I possibly can. I want as many people crammed into those things. I'm going to share the gospel of Christ to as many different people as I can. And then we're going to, I pray God shows up and there's this, the whole city's just scarlet cords. Come Lord Jesus, come. No judgment. I know that won't be the case, but I'm going to fight. I'm not going to be in that recon team and be caught 
with the enemy's uniform representing the enemy and trying to teach the enemy on how to defend against the Lord. Absolutely not. We need to be on the Lord's side. You could start by taking your own home. You can start in your living room with your own wife, your own children. You could start in your business by just sharing the gospel, by being a friend to somebody. You can start on your ride to work. Instead of putting on that random show or that random music, put on something that's glorifying God and reminding you He is coming quickly. We can do the same. Well, you may say, I'm not trained. I'm not educated. I don't know. Do I have to remind you that Rahab is a pagan prostitute who hasn't studied the word of God in her entire life? Yet she can make a statement of faith and can walk by faith. She is in the hall of faith with Abraham, with Moses, and Rahab's name is listed there. How great is our Lord. Maybe you've been on the wall. Maybe you're on the recon team. Maybe you are a disciple of Christ. Great. Complete your mission. But remember, the enemy gets a vote. We still have to do our duty. It will not be easy. And now we see verses 21, 22 through 24. Verses 22 through 24. They departed and went to the mountain and stayed there three days until the pursuers returned. The pursuers sought them all along the way but did not find them. So the two men returned, descended from the mountain, and crossed over, and they came to Joshua the son of Nun and told him all that had befallen them. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has delivered all the land into our hands, for indeed all the inhabitants of the country are faint-hearted because of us. Remember how I told you the enemy is a liar? You see, many times the media, the culture, the professors, the philosophers are telling us that we're backward, that we're the ones that are dumb and ignorant, that we're the ones that are behind the times. But secretly, many, not all, many, not all, they're questioning. When they go home and the camera's on and off, what happens when I die? Am I right? If they're reading the text, if they're truly a seeker, if they, they, they are not as strong as you think they are, why are they attacking the Christian church so hard? Why are they attacking the word of God so hard? They're not attacking Islam. They're not attacking Quran publicly, are they? They're not arguing against Hinduism. What is it about the truth of God's word that is so dangerous to them that they're going out of their way to attack it? Well, number one, the enemy gets a vote. Satan is against the truth. Number two, they're terrified of it, just the same way that this nation was terrified of the nation of Israel. Did that mean that they were going to quit or, give, or just give up? No, they're going to fight. They're not going away easy. And nothing has changed. Yes, all the promises of God are yes and amen. He told the nation of Israel they're going in there, they're going to be victorious, and they will. Israel will try and give up. They will try through their own sins and their own failures to give the enemy the battle. And they'll never truly be 100% victorious. But God will be on their side. Now, for these spies, their mission is accomplished. But what do you see? I see a great movie here. I mean, they're running for their lives. They're hiding. They got the truth. They know what's going on. They know that they're terrified. They're trying to escape. They're being hunted. 
And finally they get back. They don't say how powerful the armies are, how big the walls of Jericho are. They don't tell how difficult it's going to be. They don't say, oh, there's just no way we can't make it. There's giants over there. What do they say? They're scared. They're scared. I'm telling you right now. They're coming after us because they're scared. They want to shut the churches down because they're scared. They don't want us to teach the word of God because they're frightened. They don't want us to stand up and be Christians because they don't know what to do with us. Because we hold the sword of the Lord, the truth of God's word. Every time we read the Bible and study, every time we get up early to get in our prayer closets and spend time with the Lord, we're winning. We're victorious. Every time you close the book, every time you decide to go to the world instead of to the Lord, every time our entertainment is more important than the battle, the enemy is winning. He can't win on his own. We give him the victory. He can't overcome the Lord. We are giving it. We have to be smart. We have to return the time, redeem the time that we're in now. We need to redeem it by preparing provisions. We need to redeem it by spying out this land. We need to redeem it by declaring God's faithfulness and his truth. We need to pass out the scarlet thread. We need to share the gospel of Christ. We need to take back our families. Start with your mind and your soul. Take back your family. Take back your community. Stuff as many people into your house as possible. Call them up because the time is drawing near and the Lord will return at a time when we all least expect it. I pray, not in my own strength, but in the Spirit of God, that He finds me with the sword sword and and the shield. That He finds me occupying, redeeming the time. How will He find you? That's what we'll find out in the days to come. Let's pray and spend some time in prayer. Lord, You tell us that our weapons are not physical, not carnal, but they're spiritual, Lord. And you tell us that these weapons are mighty to the tearing down of strongholds. And so as we engage in prayer tonight, we want to be faithful to the calling in which you called us. And we pray that you would lead us in prayer. And we thank you for your word. We thank you for Rahab. I can't believe a pagan prostitute putting us all to shame, Lord. And yet here she is. How great and how mighty is your name that we are called by you. And I pray that you would use us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.